Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today's no exception. We have a great guest all the way from San Francisco, California. Welcome to the show, Cynthia Cummins. Hello, Victor. How are things this morning? Wonderful. Great to have you here. Now, Cynthia, you're not exactly from the world of real estate investing, but where I thought this would be a very interesting conversation for our listeners is to talk a bit about market segmentation. So maybe give us a little bit of your backstory and how you have carved out a very successful niche for yourself, niche or niche, depending on how you like to say it, in the world of real estate brokerage. I am a person who, as a as a child or as a as an adolescent, I couldn't even sell a box of Girl Scout cookies. So it's kind of strange that I ended up becoming a very successful residential real estate agent here in San Francisco. I've been in the business for more than thirty years. Early on, had to figure out what was my philosophy as an agent. And since I knew that I couldn't sell anything, I decided that I would try to figure out how to take care of people and please them and have faith that the business would just follow from that. So that's a very broad thumbnail of how I got started in the business. I love that. Fast forward a little bit through your journey. You've now focused on a pretty specific market demographic. You know, I sometimes joke about how if you want to dominate in a particular segment, first thing you have to do is define the segment. And maybe you might be focused on left-handed, blue-eyed, brown-haired people because there's something unique about left-handed, you know, blue-eyed, brown-haired people. And if you service that particular market segment really, really well, you can dominate. Where have you focused? Well, I focus on, well, it's strictly residential real estate buyers and sellers. I began bringing into my work some of my skills as a writer, and I have a popular blog that I write called realestatetherapy.org, in which I talk a lot about the meaning of home, how it's not just a house, it's a home. That really began to resonate with people who were trying to find meaning in real estate. So I think it was through writing about that and putting those ideas out on the internet and and talking with people that began to bring business to me that was people who whose idea of luxury was to have meaning. I think that's such a powerful, powerful story. In particular, in our Western culture here, we're so possession-oriented, materialism-oriented, and consumer-oriented that often I ask the question, do I own my belongings or do they own me? <laughs> you know, <laughs> even as we ourselves are contemplating downsizing from a much larger house than the two of us need, you know, we're in 4,500 square feet and that's a lot of house for two people and a cat. So we're actively contemplating downsizing. And it does raise the question of what is the difference between a house and a home? Uh, what makes that difference? And certainly 4,500 square feet in San Francisco proper would put numbers in the stratosphere. Mm-hmm. How has how has your message connected with your clients? Well, it's funny that you mentioned 4,500 square feet. I am right now 
finalizing bringing a listing to the market that is a 4,500 square foot house with clients who've owned it for 25 years. And they are a couple. They don't have a cat, but they're downsizing after all this time in this legacy home. And I always say that it's our stuff that tends to get in the way of our progress. There are a lot of people I meet who will contemplate downsizing until they're forced to downsize because they have to go into assisted living. And it's the it's your stuff, not to be too crude about it, but a lot of times it's your stuff, stupid, that's getting in your way. And tackling that can be very challenging, but there are ways to do it. And I try to help people with that aspect of it. What is it that people encounter? Is it a sense of loss? Is it a sense of overwhelm, all of the above? (laughs) Overwhelm, loss, for sure. I think that we tend to, well, we attach to our things and we feel like we need to do right by them, dispense of them. We need to have them have some value. When it comes right down to it, a lot of times I recommend that people have either a kind of a big yard sale or an estate sale, and they will begin to try and figure out how much they're going to ask for the items in their house. And what is really wanted is to have people come to your property and pay you to take the stuff away. So you can't ask a lot of money. If somebody says, how much is that chair? You say a quarter, and then they can't resist. They have to take it with them. It's that we want to attach value to everything. We can't assess present value. One has to ask, would I buy this myself today? And often the answer is no. There's no way I would buy this thing, this stack of books, this collection of scarves, this shelf of dishes. And yet we cannot let go of that. We can't treat it uh, with the respect that it doesn't deserve at that moment in time. That resonates very strongly with me. In fact, as I'm sitting here in my office recording this, I'm looking at a book. It's actually a volume of two books that were given to me when I was a teenager Mm -hmm. of the artist Raffaello. And if you were to buy these books today, I mean, they're huge color plates in these books. uh, They would at least be $300, at least. And obviously, I would never buy that today. I have no emotional attachment to them. And frankly, I haven't cracked the cover on those books in probably 20 or 30 years. So I'm asking myself the question, why am I holding on to them? Conversely, I'm looking at uh, my bookshelf as well, and I see three books that were written by my uncle on the architecture of Milan. And I'm saying, well, those I can part with because it's part of his legacy. I haven't opened those books in a long time either, yet there's a difference. Books are tricky. Books are really tricky. I have posted about books several times, and a lot of times people on Facebook will weigh in. And there are, I have friends who who will say, that's just sacrilegious that you would suggest I get rid of some of my books or that these books aren't valuable. There are a lot of different ways to go around it, but I have I have one bookshelf and on my little, it's a three shelf bookshelf and on it are books that have a sentimental value, like the first Bible my grandmother gave me 
uh, first edition of Gone with the Wind that my uncle gave me. Uh, And then books that are out of print now that I can't find anywhere else. And books that I refer to all the time, like poetry, books about writing, some some self-help books, a few favorite novels. But anything that I could find in the library or online or that I could get at a bookstore, that has to go. And and that doesn't even mean selling the book. That means donating the book. That means putting the books out on the street so that people can just pick them up and run with them. And it's difficult, though, because we've been told that books are sacred. When a potential client connects with uh, a consultant, a supplier, doesn't matter who it is, there's a conversation that goes on in their head. And when that connection happens, they say, oh, they get me. They understand me. Cynthia understands me. I'm going to work with Cynthia. Mm -hmm. Tell me what that's like from your perspective when you witness that connection happen. Well, if I'm witnessing it as the the vendor, the person that people connect with, that's the most rewarding part of the work I do. Yes, I'm I love winning in a multiple offer situation and and it's terrific to get 20% more than the asking price for my clients on a listing. But it is the human part of it, the relationship, the witnessing, the struggle for sanity that goes on in trying to buy or sell real estate here in San Francisco. To be someone's ally and walk with them through it and care about them in a way that really nobody else will is so rewarding. Uh, That's not to say it's not difficult. That's not to say that I don't wake up in the middle of the night sometimes worrying about someone's psychological well-being, but I love that part of the job. I'm walking that walk right now with at least six clients, and every day brings something interesting and challenging. So for the listeners at home, what we're talking about here is a deep personal connection with your clients, and it's not the world of real estate investing. This isn't real estate development or taking a project through the land entitlement process. It's connecting with your customers, and I think that's one of these things that's universal, that translates into any realm of business. I'd love for you to connect with Cynthia just to even read her blog. Uh, There's some powerful stories, some powerful lessons in that. Cynthia, folks want to get in touch. What's the best way? The best way to find me is at realestatetherapy.org, and there you can read my blog and get information about my residential real estate practice and contact information. I love it. Well, thank you, Cynthia, for sharing your thoughts this morning. So for the listeners at home, definitely reach out to Cynthia at realestatetherapy.org, some powerful lessons in her blog. In the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.